Um, before coming to Metro Praise, I can honestly say I was lost. Uh, I found myself um, pregnant with my third child, single mom, and uh, just condemned, like filling myself with all these. Um, so sorry, I'm nervous. Um, just feeling lost and alone and confused and hurt, didn't know what to do. And uh, God spoke to me clear as day. Um, he told me that he would take care of me and, and my son and my children. And uh, God has been faithful every step of the way. And uh, he has blessed me tremendously with my son, my children, and this church. When I came here, I felt love that I honestly did not know could exist from people like interaction and all the hugs and I was so awkward and like oh my god they're gonna hug me but now I want to hug everybody because I'm just like god you're so amazing and the love here and through the pastors and the leaders and everyone and I just I just want to thank god and everything and you guys for everything that you do because you've really changed my life and the life of my daughter Kayla and my mom who's here, and my brother who's here, and my aunt who's here, and my cousin who's here. <laughs> so yay. Um, okay, let's say a prayer. Jesus, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you for this time that we get to come to you, Jesus, with everybody in fellowship and worship you, God, in one accord. God, I pray, Lord, that that as we worship you, Jesus, that your love would just pour down, God, in such a great way, God, that you will fill the love tank of everybody in this place, God. Different measures, God, just beyond something that we can't even understand, Jesus. We thank you, God, and pray that you would have your way and touch the hearts of your people. Speak to us, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. Who's excited to be in God's house this morning? Come on, say hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. Come on, we're going to sing this new song. It's talking about the power of the name of Jesus. God is fighting for us. God is on our side. He has overcome. Yes, He has overcome. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Jesus, you are. Yes, we believe it. Sing it again. God is. God is fighting for us. God is on our side. He has overcome. Yes, He has overcome. We will not be shaken. We will not be Jesus, you are here. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. Come on, sing it again. God is fighting. God is fighting for us. God is on our side. He has overcome. He has overcome. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Jesus, you are here. Carrying our burdens. Carrying our burdens. Covering our shame. He has overcome. He has overcome. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Jesus, you are here. I will live. 
than any darkness you can find in this world. His light is stronger. The word says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Come on, there's freedom and liberty in this place. Come on, see it. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Sing it out, yeah. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated. Come on, enemies defeated. Shout it out, shout it out. Oh, God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness. Come on, sing it out. Of the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated. Just one more time, your hands raised, come on. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated, and we will shout it out. Come on, lift up a shout to the Lord. Lift up a shout of victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. You've overcome the Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We have victory this morning. We have victory in this place this morning. Because of you, Lord. Come on, just the voices. defeated by the enemy there is victory in the cross of Jesus Christ he's already won the victory he's already won the victory over your situation he's already won the victory in your battle against sin and temptation come on he's already won the victory we just have to walk in his freedom church come on if there's anybody feeling beaten up by the enemy you feel like you tried to live right but you can't come on if that's you raise your hands before the Lord you feel like you're fighting, you're fighting, and you just always come up short. Come on, if that's you, raise up your hand before the Lord. And just say, God, I can't do this on my own. I have to do this in the power of the cross. If you need the power of the cross this morning, come on, come to Jesus. We can't live right on our own. We can't live holy in our own strength, in our own determination. We will fail every time. We have to learn to rely in the power of the cross. Come on, he is victorious already. Ooh, there's freedom in you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, just receive that. Come on, keep talking to the Lord. Say, God, I need you. I rely on you, God. I am holy in you, Jesus. Come on, today is the last day I'm going to struggle with blank. Come on. Today is the last day I'm going to struggle. Come on, if there's a, a sin that you keep uh, getting entangled with, come on, tell the Lord, today is the last day. I'm going to do that in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, there's so much power, God, when we call upon your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
We believe there's power when we come together, Jesus, as your church. Come on, you're going to give strength to the weak. You're going to give hope to the hopeless. You're strengthening feeble knees, God. You're strengthening weak arms this morning. In your presence, in your presence, Lord. Ooh, yeah, we find encouragement in the presence of the Lord. Oh. Come on, there's power. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Oh, to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Come on, sing it. There's power. There is power in the name of Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We believe in Lord. There is power in the name of Jesus. Call upon your name, Lord. There is power in the name of Jesus. Break every chain. Break every chain. Break every I'll say all sufficient. All sufficient. Sufficient. Jesus, come on, start calling on his name, on the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name, Lord, Jesus, 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 one more time, Jesus, come on, there's power, there is power. Break. 
Jesus and it's keeping you from living for him those chains can be broken this morning come on Jesus is calling you right now to lay those before him and say God I surrender my struggles to you I don't want to do that anymore God I want freedom Kona that you tell him in your own words say God I want freedom in the name of Jesus break these chains over my life come on if that's you come on your own words tell him tell him I can't do this alone Jesus I need the power of the Spirit. I need the power of the cross, your blood, Jesus. Come on, freedom, 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 freedom. Come on now, if you're part of that army of the Lord, come on, you're going to stand for righteousness. You're going to bring his freedom to other people. If that's you, come on, raise your hands right now. We need the power of the Spirit to bring freedom to our, our world. Come on, raise those hands and say, Holy Ghost, fill me. Fill me to bring freedom to others. Boldness to preach your word, God. We're messengers of the freedom of the Lord. Come on, be filled. Be filled. Be filled this morning. Come on, if you're filled in the spirit, come on, start speaking in tongues. Come on. Shed up Power from on high. Show Jesus. Come on, say I'm an army. And so I'm an
is here. Jesus, you're here. Oh, the King is here. The King is here. Come on, just close your eyes and say, Jesus, you're here. Come on, he's here. He's here. You are here. You are here, Jesus. Everything changes. Everything changes when the King is here. Oh, everything changes when you're here, Lord. Oh, the King, the King of Heaven is here. Oh, everything changes when you're here. Oh, If you need freedom, come on, come to this altar right now. Come on. If you need freedom, you know you're bound up. He's making a, a call out to you. He's making his appeal to you today. Come to this altar and be set free once and for all. Come on, when he frees you, he frees completely. Completely. Once and for all. Come on, be set free this morning. He's making his appeal to you. Come on, come. 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 Don't let the devil lie to you this morning. Come. The freedom is here. Freedom is here, Lord. Come on, complete freedom. Complete freedom. Come on, you got to respond. Come on, respond. Respond to the word of the Lord today. Come on, I know you're holding back and you think people are going to look at you crazy. Come on, this is your life in Jesus. Come on. 
He suffered an embarrassing, shameful death for you. Come on, stand up for him. Freedom, complete freedom today. You don't got to hide anymore. Come on, come in the light. Come in the light. Come in the light. Oh, come in the warmth of the sun. Step into the warmth of the sun this morning. It's not a fire that's going to burn you. It's the warmth of the sun. Come on. Step into the light of the sun. Let him warm you. He's not going to burn you. He wants to warm you. Don't be afraid to step in the light. Come on. Woo! Chains are breaking all over this room. Come on. Shaka. I come against the lies of the enemy right now. Today is the last day. Come on, today is the last day. The last day. Today is the last day of darkness for you. Fear is broken. Fear is broken. Addictions. Addictions are broken. Come on, pornography is broken. Anger and bitterness is broken. Broken marriages are healed in the name of Jesus. Come on, everybody at the altar right now. I want you to say, I'm free completely in Jesus' name. Come on, do you believe that? You are free completely. Say it again. I am free completely in Jesus' name. Never to go back. Decide today to never go back. Come on, decide it today. Tell him, Jesus, I will never go back in Jesus' name. I don't care if I have to crawl to the cross every day. When it gets hard, I will never go back. Today is your new life. There's some of you up at this altar, you've been fighting. You've been fighting, you've been struggling, and today he's saying, come on, don't go back. He's been calling your name, beckoning you. Decide today, young man, that you will not go back. We surrender it all, God. We can't do it alone. Yes, God. Jesus. Lord, you are in this place. Hallelujah, God. The 
with every eye closed and head bowed and hands lifted high. I want us all to pray sincerely to God. Repeat after me, Father God, set me free. I know my life is not perfect. And I don't need it to be. Because you are perfect. Break me. Renew me. And restore me. Today and right now. In the name of Jesus. Let's give him a hand clap of praise. Praise you, God. Praise you, God, for you are perfect. Praise you, God. Before you take your seats, we are going to dismiss the children. You can send them towards the sound booth to go back and, uh, and get taught. Amen. How many of you are excited to be here today? How many of you were blessed by the worship? Oh, man, it just touched my heart. I saw one of the little girls over here. While everyone here was in the front, she was just there. I think she was speaking in tongues, praising God, more passionate than, than I saw some of you. Imagine that. Do you see what God is doing in our children? Oh, let's, let's give God a hand clap of praise once again for the children. Oh, amen. My name is uh, Chris Vitale. I'm one of the pastoral elders here at MPI, Metro Praise International. Please go with me to Romans chapter 8. Oh, praise God. If you're not saved today, or if you, didn't, if you weren't saved before you came here, most likely you got saved during that worship experience. You heard the gospel various times throughout that whole, the, the whole piece that they put together. Everyone say there is power in the name of Jesus. Romans 8, chapter 1 says, Therefore, there is now, everyone say now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Let me tell you a little story, something recently that I heard. There's a prison in just outside of Baton Rouge, Louisiana called Angola. Has anyone heard about Angola? Well, this is a, a prison where the average sentence of the prisoners is around 91 years. All the, probably the worst rapists, murderers, any other type of wicked person you can imagine in that cell. But here's the thing. God is doing such a great work there. The gospel is being preached of the 5,000 plus. I'm not sure exactly how many are there. But about 1,500 to 2,000 of them became believers and are preaching in that prison. And the gospel is spreading throughout. God is doing such a great work. But in thinking about this, I thought about this verse because in condemnation, you get the idea, okay, because there's a condemnation, you were convicted first. And that's... You know, prisoners were convicted. They're called convicts. We call them convicts, right? Even when they get out, they're still convicts because they have been convicted. Everyone say convicted. Everyone here has been convicted. Every one of you. You all have broken God's law one way or another. In James 2, it says, if you have even failed at one point in the law, it's like you broke the whole law. Okay, so just one little thing, one little lie, even if it's a white lie, 
telling your spouse they look good when they don't. That's a, that's, that's a white lie. It's still a lie. And God is the prosecutor. He is the jury and the judge. He has seen every sin that you have committed, every law that you have broken, and he has convicted you. Christian or not, you are convicted. But here's the thing. Are you condemned? If you don't know Jesus, the Bible says you are already condemned. And there's an eternal sentence to that. Eternal hellfire. You heard the part of the, the song that says there is power in the name of Jesus. That's the gospel right there. Power to save you. To set you free. The thing is, we are not condemned because of Jesus. But if you don't have Jesus today, I strongly urge you to talk to our life group leaders. They're going to be standing here. Vanessa and Rudy are going to be standing over here. They're going to pray for you. Listen to me. You are condemned if you do not have Jesus. Your family is condemned already. Jesus took the penalty for our conviction. Jesus wasn't convicted, but he stood in our place. And now to the Christians. See, the prisoners in Angola, they are, the, the ones that gotten saved, they were convicted and condemned to an earthly sentence of 91 years. That has nothing, does not even compare to the eternal sentence and condemnation that unbelievers will receive. But here's the thing. Some of you Christians are living as if you're condemned. When Jesus has said, you are not condemned. The Christians in Angola, they're still living out the consequences of their sin in the earth. But yet you are here free, but living like a prisoner. Go to Jesus and get set free. For there is power in his name. Amen. Stand up with me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the power that breaks off the condemnation of our lives. The condemnation that we deserve was placed on you, Jesus. You said, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus, you broke the power of that death, of that condemnation, of that spiritually eternal death. And now we receive life because of you, God. God, I pray that you will press in everyone's heart here, God, saved and unsaved. Lord God, to put their trust in you. For they are convicted, but not condemned in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's praise God. Let's praise him. Hallelujah. We're going to confess our confession of uh, faith. And uh, if you guys would like a copy of this so you can bring home or memorize uh, throughout the week or the month, uh, raise your hand and some of our ushers will, will give you a copy. This is, our, this is our worldview. We have a lady over here that would like a copy. This is our worldview, how we should see the world. I mean, if, you, if you think about this, this is how... Everyone should see the world through this confession because there is one God and creator. Amen? So let's confess in the count of three. One, two, three. 
I believe in one God and Creator, who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, and by God's grace alone. For your seat give somebody a high five 
Look to your neighbor, let them know that it's good to see them this morning. My name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here, and we just want to say welcome. How many of you guys feel the love in this place this morning? God's love, the love from one another. God is good. Amen. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 o'clock, and then Fridays, our youth group elevate. They meet every Friday night at 7 p.m. So those are our two main services. Please continue to join us every week as we preach the gospel and share the love of God. We want to welcome all of our first-time visitors. Thank you for being with us this morning. If you did not receive a brochure, if you could just raise your hand, our elders will get one to you, and then you could drop off the bottom portion into the drop box. Thank you for joining us this morning in God's presence. Our vision here is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. Say loving God and loving people. Amen. And we believe those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. So we strive to do that with all of our heart. And our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect people to the cross, mentor them with the cross, and then send them out with the cross so they can share it and spread it to everybody around them. And the way that we connect you here at Metro Praise International is through our life groups. If you have this handout, our life group schedule is written in the back very clearly, uh, divided by different sections. And we want to be very specific week by week what's going on at Metro Praise. So starting with today, we have two life groups going on. So today, Sunday, we have at 3 p.m. at Montrose Beach, a fun day. Give it up for a fun life group. Come on, they're all fun. But this is an activity life group. And then tonight at 5 p.m., encounter night. Come on out, feel the presence of God, soak in the Holy Spirit. God is doing awesome things on Sunday night. So if you just want a place to come, be refreshed, uh, an extra place to just be prayed for, for healing, or deliverance, Sunday night is where you want to be. And then continuing throughout the week, Wednesday is our King's Kids Life Group. Friday, we have our adult Bible study with Griselda and Berto. And this week, it's specifically at Monique and Chris Pittman's house. So if you have any information about this week's life group, please speak to them. And then again, on Saturday, we have the sidewalk counseling. Join Jared and the team out there. And then Saturday at 5 p.m. evangelism. So if you've never evangelized, take this opportunity this week to plug in and do that on Saturday and then find a place to belong. And again, here is your schedule and that's what's happening just this week. So look to your neighbor and say, Metro Praise is not boring. There's always something to do here, amen? And then we wanna mentor you with the cross. We wanna take you through our 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. If you're newly saved, or you've been safe for a long time, but you're new to Metro Praise. We have leaders ready to take you through this book one-on-one -on -one to disciple you, to mentor you. And then our leadership class is right after that, Disciples That Make Disciples, because we want to be a church that makes disciples, wins the loss, and makes disciples. Amen? And then we want to send you out to evangelize on the streets. We have different evangelizing times all throughout the week. And just find a place where you could come and share your faith to street witness. And of course, on our jobs, in our neighborhoods, um, you know, our, our neighbors, our family, we're always preaching the gospel. Amen? Because that is what God has called us to do. We are not meant to be silent. Say, I will not be silent. We have got to preach the word of God. And then our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in this city with 50 churches and 500 churches around the world. If you believe we could do that by God's grace, say amen. Praise God. He is moving in this place. He is moving in Chicago and throughout our lives. And we just want to be a part. We are a, an army rising up. Amen. Are you a part of that army? Come on. 
Which brings us to our next announcement. We are so pumped. This month, Joe is preaching about evangelism, sharing our faith, winning the lost, not being silent, preaching the gospel to everybody around us. And we very specifically, hand in hand, God brought this together where Jared, Pastor Jared, planned a Chicago for Jesus training seminar. Okay, and we want everybody to be a part of it. It's Saturday, September 21st, and it's free and open to all churches. So it's not just for Metro Praise. We want Metro Praise to show up and show off, but it is open to everybody around the city. So bring your friends, bring your families that may attend somewhere else and have them come. We're gonna have a session one at 2.30 where Jared will be teaching and then they're gonna hit the streets at five o'clock to actually go and do it. It is hands-on preaching gospel at Wicker Park. If you need any more information, please see Pastor Jared and check out the website, chicagoforjesus.net. It's an awesome website full of tons of information. So we are excited about this and excited about what God is doing specifically this month through you and how Chicago is gonna be one for him, amen? Praise the Lord, God is moving and grooving in this place. God is so good. If you could please turn with me in your Bibles, we are going to prepare to give our tithe and offering this morning. How many of you guys believe that God is faithful? God is so faithful, he is so good to us. And as long as we continue to put him first in everything that we do, we will see his faithfulness in our lives. He will take care of us. Uh, if you could turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Proverbs 11.24. We believe here at Metro Praise that a tithe is a 10% of your total income. And an offering is anything above that, above your tithe, an amount that is between you and the Lord. And we designate that specifically to missions or the building fund, and you can check that off on the envelope. But we believe strongly in tithe and offering because we believe that if we can be faithful to God in our finances, that we'll be faithful with him to every area of our life because finances seems to be such a tough area for people to trust the Lord in. But God promises to take care of us when we give our tithe. Proverbs 11:24. if you're there, say, I'm there. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. One person gives freely and then gains more. See, this scripture is not talking about financial investments. You know, people invest into different things in, er in our earthly government. But when it, uh, when it refers to God's economy, see, generosity is something that's overflowing. We can never outgive God. Being generous in God's economy often determines prosperity. God will meet our needs. And we don't give just to get. We give because God says so. We are generous because God makes us generous. He was generous with his son so that we could have life. He freely gave of Jesus on that cross. And now in return, God says, if you're generous in my economy, giving me your life, trusting me with your finances, we will be prosperous. Because in order to get, in order to gain, we, we must be givers. How many of you guys believe, can testify with me this morning, those of you guys who have been faithful to tithing and giving to offering, that God has met your needs. And it doesn't mean we're going to win a million dollars, and it doesn't mean that, you know, every time you give, God's going to give you back. But God will take care of you because he's a good God and he cares for us. Amen. Please stand with me to your feet this morning as we pray over this offering. God is faithful. And I can bring person after person up here, and maybe soon I will, to testify to you about God's goodness and faithfulness in this area because we can't stress it enough. Let's recite this verse together. Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. 
a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. God, I thank you that you were generous, and I pray that we, as your body, as your church this morning, that we will be generous with all that you've given to us, that we will be faithful to the tithe, that we will be faithful to the offering, God, that you would continue to provide for us, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you care for us, that you feed the sparrows in the sky. They do not go uh, in need, God, and you care for us as your children. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will meet our budget this month at Metro Praise above and beyond what we could imagine. I ask, oh Lord, that you would come forth, that we would evangelize, God, that we would see the lost saved, the disciples made, and a city turned upside down for you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make this possible. We thank you for every giver and tither in this place. Continue to meet their needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Praise the Lord this morning. Please come forward as you give. Amen. Can I have a family talk with you guys this morning? Somebody say family talk. Amen. Let me have a family talk with you guys. We're so happy that this church is growing. How many love baptisms, first of all? Anybody love baptisms here? Amen. You know, one of the awesome things about baptisms is you get to see people's lives change, man. You get to see Holy Ghost come, just exciting times. But did anybody notice what we were baptizing in last time? Did anybody take a look at what we were baptizing in? It was a kiddie pool. It was my kid's pool. Uh, it was about ankle deep. And, uh, man, Berto and I, we were working out that day. And I didn't really feel it until a couple days later when I went down to pick up my baby. And it was like, oh. And, dude, I got stuck, and literally ever since then, man, I got, like, this little knot in my back. So anybody who does massages or anything, I got this knot, like, in my left shoulder blade, and I just need that thing worked out. So I want to show you something that I think God would want us to have so that we can baptize more people four times a year each quarter. Brother, would you put it up? I want you guys to get excited about this, a new baptismal tank. Come on, we can do this. We we can do this. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. When we came to this building, we relaunched. We said, guys, for one year, everybody say one year. What is it? Uno, uno años? Uno, uno año? Año. Just año. Okay, I'm sorry. I tried. I tried. Easy, easy. It's like, oh, it's año, año. Okay, here we go. Año. Okay, so one year we said when we come here to the new building, we relaunch. We're not going to do one fundraiser. We're not going to do one giving campaign. We're not going to do one candy bar sale for Jesus. We're not doing any of that. And by God's grace, hopefully we don't have to do things like that. That's not what we do. We don't sell candy bars, candles, or have 
you know, whatever, like uh, spaghetti dinners. Here's the deal. We just ask you guys to fulfill a need. So for one whole year, most of you guys have never even heard us ask to fulfill one need outside of the electricity in the building. Okay? We believe tithes should support the local church, and you guys are doing awesome. The budget is, is there. We have money in the bank. Can we praise God for that? Amen. One year strong here at this location, a church based on discipleship. It's, it's tight, but it's right, and God has provided for us. Thank you, thank you. And here's how we can give. We can give to the building fund. Now, you guys have been hearing about the building fund, but not knowing when that is relevant. So right now, the building fund is relevant. If you guys can give your tithes to the Lord, 10%, whatever that is to God, and then pray this month about giving to the building fund, we can get this baptismal tank, and we can have a baptism in November. We can have one at our winter conference, and we can have one around Easter, and we can have one around the summer, and then we can have one here, we can have one out there, we can have them all over the place, okay, so we want to have a baptism here, there, and everywhere, amen, now ours is not going to look like this, it's going to look much cooler than this, okay, uh, the flowers won't be there, but you know, I just wanted to give you the picture of what this is going to look like, ours is going to look cool and all that, maybe have some neon lights around it, you know, and like have your name scrolling by when you come up there, who knows, but this, this is just the vision of what we're going for. So let's believe God this month that we can do it. Can we do that, family? Amen. Let's just pray and commit it to the Lord. God, we have uh, given this to our staff and to the financial committee. Now, Lord, we presented it to your people. We don't manipulate or bribe or sell things, God. We just present the need, like you said in your word, to do. And now we ask you to place it on people's hearts all this month, just to give extra so that we can have a legacy of baptisms year-round in this ministry. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Amen. Praise the Lord for that. And uh, Ricardo Rivera is in charge of the financial committee. Let's give it up for Brother Ricardo. If you have any questions, come see him. Any questions, come see him. All right, we are doing a series on preach. Somebody say preach. Amen. I want everybody to have one of these in their hands with me right now as you're turning with me to Mark chapter 3. So ushers, would you hand them out? This is our second week about learning how to preach. You might say, Pastor, I don't think I'm supposed to preach. That's why you are here this morning. Let me just tell you that. Because you are going to learn about how to preach. Every single one of us should be sharing the good news with other people. If you had the cure to AIDS, would you give it to somebody? If you had free restaurant coupons, would you share it with the hungry? And if you had money and you knew people needed it, would you share it? This is the gospel. I'm just giving you an illustration, an example, something you can hold in your hand while I'm preaching today about how you can share your faith. You can invite people to church. You can say, hey, come join me for a Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. and have you been born again. You can also have this book. It's the book of John, and it comes with some helpful hints and guides for people to read the Bible. So you can start by just handing this to somebody, and hopefully by the end of this month, you'll know how to do more than just hand it to somebody, you'll be able to preach and actually share the message of Jesus Christ. Can I get a woo-woo? That's right. That's what we're here to do, baby. That's what we're here to do.
We're here to preach this gospel. And by the way, we got that hashtag up because we're trying to be cool. Somebody say we're trying. We're trying and we're trying to be cool. So hashtag preach all over Instagram, all over Facebook, Twitter, whatever you do. Whatever you do for God this month and it looks like it would encourage somebody. Just hashtag preach. And I've been checking it out on Facebook and it's like so cool because like you'll have like somebody like cooking a good food and then somebody's like being funny and they're like preach and they're like tagging in that picture and then all of a sudden you'll see like a hundred pictures like this so praise God we're taking back the word preach from the pulpit and we're giving it to the people amen we're taking it out of the pulpit and we're giving it to the people last week we learned I have a job that is different than yours we're supposed supposed to preach I'm supposed to preach to my neighbor you're supposed to preach to your neighbor co-workers hairdresser uh, restaurant waitress we're all supposed to do that but yeah I do have a difference uh, a different job as a preacher my job is to train you to preach amen so I hope that by God's grace I can do that because my job is to make sure you do your job because when we get to heaven we're not going to be judged on how awesome our church was and this is actually true they uh, some statisticians have interviewed nothing against big churches because we're going to be big one day too amen they ain't going to be the only ones we're going to be there bucking with the devil with them amen knocking down the city mayor and all that because I can't wait till I can get with the mayor you know I'm not talking a physical battle I'm talking a spiritual battle you know and and Mayor Ram Emanuel we have Pastor Joe would like to say something repent for the kingdom of God is at hand stop fornicating stop adultery stop favoring homosexuality take care of the poor live for Jesus God bless you Mayor Rahm Emanuel I just can't wait hand but we're not there yet but one day we will but here's the thing they actually did a stat on people who tend to now be drawn to bigger churches and it's true uh, not a majority but there is a, a certain segment that are drawn to bigger churches because it's easier to hide and here's the other thing they want to be secure in their faith by watching somebody else do it so it's like you know man we all want to be a part of something big we all want to be a part of something that's awesome so in a sense it's like I want to be on the winning team so I want to go to this church and be on the winning team and that's actually part of the motivation and like I said if people come here for that reason or whatever when we get big we'll have to deal with it so I'm not speaking against big churches in general but but here's the point you will not be judged by you coming to Metro Praise and what I did it like you, you might say oh I'm a part of a growing church we're changing lives we're awesome no you're going to be judged on what you did what did you do? And I, even as the pastor, can't hide behind this pulpit and be like, thank you, God, I'm so awesome because I get to preach on Sunday to all these people. So let's just imagine one day I preach to 10,000. It's like, oh, I'm so awesome, I preach to 10,000. No, God's going to say, what did you do with your neighbor? What did you do with the people I brought into your life? How did you treat your waitress? How did you treat your hairdresser? How many know Jesus was pretty awesome? But he spent time with the woman at the well. He spent time with the homeless, those that were sick and left out of society. We are always, always, no matter the size of the church, no matter your stage in Christianity, we are going to be judged by what we do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. And pray for that 100,000. Amen. Just every day, pray for it. Don't ever forget. Because I believe we can make, think about this. Let's just pause. Can I just pause right here? I'm being serious. Violence in the streets. How many are just getting just sick and tired of just seeing this over and over and over again? School shootings at high schools and all this. Let me just put this in your mind right now. And you just tell me. Here's one solution. Just one solution. 
What if all the people who, came, who claim Christ in this entire city who says, I'm a Christian, spent two hours a month walking their streets, going to the park, standing in front of the high school, and just talked about God and his word? Just talk to people about Jesus. Do you think that would make a difference? What do you think? I mean, come on. If there is, uh, they say 70% of, of, of Chicagoans identify with the Christian faith, and we have, you know, like 8 million people in this city, could you imagine if there was 4 million people all throughout the month walking in front of high schools going, hey, young people, what's going on? You living for Jesus? Walking in front of the parks. Hey, what's going on? Going door to door, handing out information about Jesus. Our city would be so saturated with gospel preachers that the criminals would not even have a place to hide like cockroaches in the dark. The light would be shining so much. I see it just when we go to the west side. Just when we show up into the west side, we boom, we go right to where they sell drugs. Guess what happened? They scatter away. But guess what? What if somebody in the next block was doing their church outreach at that same time? Then where do they go? Then eventually they go into their house. But then you got people knocking on their door. Hey, how you doing? Until finally the evil leaves. Till there's no place to run or hide. And guess what? We can do that in our country. Freedom of speech. We can go to the park and just willingly say, do you want to talk about Jesus? We can willingly stand in front of high schools and just say, hey, does any, any young people here need prayer? We can go and do these things. We can knock on our neighbor's door. There's nothing illegal with that. We can knock on our neighbor's door and say, hello, neighbor, I'm a Christian. It's my duty to share my faith with you. Do you have a few moments? Can I talk to you about Jesus? Can I pray for you? Is there any needs that you have in your life? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Imagine just what would happen in Chicago if we started preaching the gospel. And here's what I think would happen as I get ready to preach this message. I think two things would happen. Number one, I think that uh, the revival would come. And then at the same time, I think persecution would come. And I think that's the reason why some of us, we don't want to do it because we're afraid of what our neighbors are going to say. We're afraid of what the kids at the high school are going to say. We're afraid of what people at the park are going to say. But here's the thing. As it was in the book of Acts is how it's going to be when Jesus comes back. They were preaching and teaching everywhere. Great miracles were happening. Do you know that they went to the downtown area of Ephesus and all the people with witchcraft brought out their stuff and set it on fire? They estimate it was over a million dollars worth of witchcraft got burned there and probably tens of thousands of people got saved could you imagine that happening in millennial park could you imagine it but guess what then what happened people got so mad because they loved their sin that they began to kill christians and one time um, a person from china the underground church in china they say right now is growing 1500 people a day Right now, there's a billion people in China. They haven't had the gospel because of communism, and now the gospel is going forth in China. And 1,500 people a day on average are giving their life to the Lord. It comes out to be about 10 million a year, they say. They, they are estimating that right now the church could be as big as 100 million strong, all the way up to two, 300 million. We don't know for sure. But watch this. One of those underground pastors came to America and they said, Pastor, we're praying that persecution stops in China. We're praying for you that it stops. And he looked back and he says, I'm praying for America that it starts. He said, because persecution has caused us to be the real church where people aren't fake anymore. And now we have a motivation to get out there and share our faith with those who don't know Jesus. Amen. That was all free. Can you open up your Bible to Mark chapter 3, verse 14? Oh, to God that we would be the light in the darkness, that we would be the salt of the earth. Oh, to God that we would just do what Jesus did. 
Can we stop thinking about going to church and start being the church? Can we stop thinking about just checking in today for two hours and live 168 hours this week for Jesus? What is it going to take before America realizes that? What is it going to take for even this church to realize that we hold the power in our hands? We hold the power of change. And it comes through preaching. I was sharing with my one friend who's serving in the military about America and it's in its bond to pastors. Not that pastors usurp their authority into the government, but it was pastors like myself that preached during the American Revolution to help inspire the people to believe that there's freedom from tyranny. It was the pastors that preached during the time of slavery. Reverend Martin Luther King in the time of the Civil Rights Movement. The church has always been at the forefront of what God wants to do. Don't let people try to put church in a box and say your religion only belongs with you on a Sunday morning. It doesn't belong here. Yes, it does. We belong in the public square. Our philosophies belong in the high schools and in the colleges. It's the Christian worldview that's the hope for this world. You have to preach it. Put up the creed for me, please. I'm just going to preach however the Lord gives it to me right now. Put up that creed for me because we always say, and I want you just to understand this, without this creed, Without this creed, the world is meaningless. And I want to explain it to you, and I don't want you to think I'm just throwing it out there. The question that every person has to ask themselves is, why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something rather than nothing? This is not the same question as the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument is why something began, how it began. Did something come from nothing, or did something come from someone? Okay, but this is not that same argument. I want you to think of this argument. The argument is from existence itself. Why is there a universe as opposed to no universe? Why is there a universe if you do not deposit a God into that equation to why there is a universe, then there is no explanation. Therefore, everything in the universe has no meaning. I want you to understand this. I'm not playing a trick with your mind. Listen to this. If we do not deposit God as the explanation to why there is a universe, and we say the universe just happens to exist without explanation. So the atheist says, I don't know why it exists. It just does. Now everything, somebody say everything. Now everything in the universe cannot have a greater explanation than the universe itself. It can only have the same value, the same worth as the universe has in itself. So if the universe itself is a random chance without explanation, then everything in the universe, stars, planets, life, everything then has no explanation. Is everybody tracking with me? So then why go to school? So why build societies? Why parent our children? Why eat healthy? Why do anything? Why does it matter? Why does anything matter? It doesn't. So without the Christian worldview, life itself is actually meaningless. It's meaningless. We're the only ones that can say, here's the reason why I get up in the morning. Because God created me for a purpose. Here's the reason why there's a star that's this far away and a star that's this close. is because God expanded the heavens. God did this. 
God created the earth to sustain life. Why does the earth have life and other planets don't? We're not talking about aliens. Life, we're just talking about the planet earth. Why does it sustain life? Why is life important? Why are societies important? Why are rules that govern societies important? Why are there moral codes? Why does it matter whether you rape your neighbor's wife or steal from them today? Somebody may say, well, we're all just you know, living out our own purpose. We're making it up as we go. Yes, but if the universe you're living in has no purpose, the purpose you make up to have today is just an illusion. It's literally no different than you waking up this morning going, vroom, vroom, vroom. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm in Star Wars. My purpose is to become a Jedi Knight. If you wake up without a, without a God purpose to say that my purpose is taking care of my family, my job, and these things, it is meaningless because the universe has no purpose. Think of it this way. After 100 years, you'll be forgotten. After a thousand years, your family lineage will be forgotten. So many people who have intermarried, you'll be forgotten. Fifty years from now, no one will even know you were here. Fifty thousand years, a hundred thousand, a million years from now, the planet Earth may not even look the same. If we have no purpose, then a billion years from now, if this universe collapses on itself and creates a new universe, then all that we did, all the science, all the technology, all the propagating of the human race, all the handing down of arts and knowledge has totally disappeared, and it starts from nothing again. If that is true, do you all understand? But I believe in one God and Creator. Genesis 1-1 sets the standard. Look at it right now in your Bible, please. If Genesis 1-1 is true, then you have an obligation to live for God. If Genesis 1-1 is true, can you please put it up there, sir? Because I want us to understand, because a lot of times we talk about preaching, I, you know, I can hear people in their heart saying, you know, that's not my job, or, you know, what am I going to do, judge people? No, you don't understand. You are living in a culture, if you do not talk about your worldview, somebody else will talk about their worldview. If you remain silent, stand back, somebody will stand up. If you stand for nothing, somebody who stands for something will sit you down. Your world will change around you. I remember when um, the homosexual agenda was just starting in the early 80s, in the you know, 70s and 80s, and the preachers at this time were saying, hey, we got to be careful about this because once we redefine marriage with homosexuality, polygamy and all other kind of definitions are going to be coming right behind them. Right behind them. And people said, no, you are crazy. We're just talking about two loving, same-sex people. Let's just leave them alone. Don't change the subject. And what do you see right now? Polygamy is making a comeback. It is, it is desensitizing us in the media. How did they desensitize the American culture with homosexuality? You come up with shows like Will and Grace. You start showing some documentaries where homosexual people have suffered at the hands of religious bigots. And you start to feel compassion for them. You put in a blockbuster with some well-known names like Brokeback Mountain, and you begin to desensitize people. Then you, then, then you change the laws. You just change one at a time. It doesn't really matter, but, you know, the, the most people, but you just change one at a time. We're, we're going to change, you know, civil union. Then we're going to change marriage. We're going to change what we teach our children. We're going to teach how they're all in the workplace. Do you know that California right now is voting on a law that says if a child identifies themselves as another gender, they can go to the other gender's bathroom. They're now voting. 
promoting that that's that's just, and this is just the beginning and so right behind that now is the polygamy movement and what was another thing we predicted and here I'll go down as saying it as well the age of consent will go down to children they are going to continue to say why should it be only 14 year olds can have sex uh, 16 then 14 right now NAMLA the North the North American Man Boy Love Association is following behind the homosexual movement and is saying if a child knows how to choose its clothes why can't it choose its lover of course it's sick of course it's disgusting I'm not saying it's the same as homosexuality but I guarantee you just as homosexuality came out of disgusting what our grandparents would have thought was disgusting has now become popular what we would have said polygamy was disgusting now it's become popular and in between that is uh, polyandry having multiple partners it's already being talked about on National Geographic taboo and Tyra Bang show it's already out there I guarantee you the age of consent for children in the Roman Empire Empire. You could have sex with children, and it was legal as long as the parents gave their permission. And there are some third world countries. You can see the video nefarious about sex trade. There are third world countries that willingly give their children into sex slavery so that they can have a better life. So it's already a part of some people's mentalities. What am I saying? Because if you take God out of the equation and we're just rationalizing things in our own human mind, then why can't we do, uh, go into that realm? And let me just say this because it's, it's always hand in hand how we think about sex and how we think about life. The abortion situation is exactly the same. Exactly the same. You would talk to somebody 50 years ago. What's inside your womb? It's a baby. How many weeks are you? I'm four weeks. I'm five weeks. I'm six weeks. They would rejoice. How old is the baby? Twelve weeks. It's a baby. But you talk to people now, they begin to say, no, it's not a baby until it can sustain life. Do you know that there are professors? You could talk to Ryan Baus. Raise your hand. There are professors right now that are wanting to make into law, wanting to make into our society, that a parent can have a choice to kill a child up to two years old after birth. This is not some fringe thing. It's not like they're just in the background. No, their argument, think about it. This is their argument because they don't believe in a God. Their argument is this, until the baby is conscious of itself, until it can take care of itself, until it can feed itself, it's not truly a human being yet. So we pushed back what a human being is so far to where we don't even think a human being is two years old or one year old. Does this sound familiar? Nazi Germany did the same thing. Eugenics in the African-American community. That's why they call the abortion thing a black, uh, a black genocide because Margaret Sanger, one of her things was to stop poor people and to stop deformed people from having children. That was her idea, motivated by Nazi Germany. Jews shouldn't be able to live, and poor people shouldn't be able to have children. I've even heard this kind of talk today that they're talking about, and, and it sounds like it's coming from a rational point of view. Well, the inner city, they can't take care of kids, and, and, and they keep taking social welfare. Let's castrate them so they can't have children. I just heard that this week. I heard a person tell me, let's castrate poor people so they can't have children. How long do you think it's going to be before this verse is totally out of the mindset of our culture? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, if God created us, then we have to live by his rules. Then God explains to us why we're here. God explains to us why morality is the way it is. God explains to us why there's meaning and value in life. 
But without God, there is no value and meaning. Now, let me go back to that creed because the, the belief in God may suffice for this first definition, but I want to go on to the second definition of why society wouldn't function without this Trinitarian belief because I want you to hear this. Because some may say, okay, we all just believe in a God, that's, that's, that's fine, let's go on. No, but there is a specific reason why the God who is one in nature but three in persons has to be the God of this universe. There's a reason behind this. It's not just my God, your God, let's have a arm wrestle, see who's the best God. When you look at the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you see three in one. You see what we call the family of the nature of God, each one sharing the divine nature, yet with an individual personality. This is the only explanation to how we can be human beings, all of the same nature, yet all have different personalities, and yet come together as one and reproduce. The Trinity represents a family. It rep not in the production sense like the Father and Holy Spirit produce the Son, but it represents a family of same nature persons communicating one with another in unity. When it said, and go to Genesis uh, chapter 2 please, when it says God made us in his image, it says he made them male and female. Complex unity. Somebody say complex unity. This is the reason why God has to be triune. Here's what it says. Let us, see the plurality there? Everybody see that? Let who? Us make man in what? Our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. Somebody say they. See, there is them becoming one. They're all, we're all human beings, but we're not the same person. Does everybody get that? You and me both have the human nature that is exactly the same for the most part. Are you with me? Here, here is the image, the reflection of God in us, but yet we're all not the same person. So we are a complex unity when we work together. And what is the greatest il illustration of a complex unity in, 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 in relationships and human beings? What is it? Marriage, two becoming one, reproducing, showing the creative power. We call it procreation, showing this miracle of procreation. So God has to be a complex unity for mankind to reflect that image. Otherwise, why are we a complex unity with intelligence, the same nature, but not the same person? Are you guys following with me? Somebody read their Bible this week. Anybody else read their Bible? Amen. This is in your Bible. It's right here. Let us make man in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, over the livestock, and over wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. Now you have that singular declaration, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, created in the image of God. There's not many gods. One God, one image. He created them, male and female, he created them. We are one human being, one uh, reflection of nature, but we are multiple persons. Everybody say it again, complex unity. And so now, and just scroll up, please, and you can see this right here. And just scroll up uh, to the next verse, 28. Scroll down, rather. I always have the word scroll up. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves along the ground. I give you all of these things. These will be for your food. Verse 30, the beasts of the field and the air, everything that has breath in, uh, and everything that has the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And so it was. 
See, God created a complex unity to reflect his nature. And we were given power to have dominion over the earth. They did an interview um, dealing with evolution because, you know, without God, things become meaningless. Ray Comfort in his, in his video, Evolution versus God, wanted to show how wacky people's mindsets have become. He asked them this question. He said, if you had a choice, uh, first he said, do you have a pet? And they said, yes. And he said, okay, if you had a choice between saving the pet you, you love or a stranger, if both were drowning, which one would you save? Which one, if you could only save one, the pet you know and love or a stranger? And do you know what most of these college-age students said back? I would rather save my pet. Why? Because now man doesn't have any more value than the animal because we all want to be vegetarians. We all want to be humanitarian to these animals while we're killing babies in abortion clinics, while we're allowing uh, world starvation. We want to pretend like animals are like us. This is the sickness of the mentality when it loses what God created us for. God created us to rule and to reign over this earth and to eat these animals. You want to eat a monkey? Fine. Eat a horse? You can eat it. You can eat whatever you want. Now, there's laws of the land that may tell you you can't, but that's all right. Eat it. Go somewhere and try it. Somebody posted up on Facebook, oh, they just found out that Aldi's was putting horse meat in, in their food. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, why are we hiding that? I think I would shop there more if you told me you had horse meat. I, I think that would be a draw for business. Come eat the black stallion. Come eat, you know, what's, whatever those horses' names are. Come eat this. I'll, I'll, that would make me want to come there and eat it. Why? Because we can eat it. God said I can eat it. You know, we got these, these, these little dogs, you know, these little dogs. And I'm just thinking to myself, those little, those little dogs people are carrying around, it's like teasing me. I'm thinking that little dog has got to taste good. That, that. That little dog has got to have some tender little meat on it, and it would just be so easy to fry that thing up. I'm just telling you, who, who told, I mean, of course we can make them for our pets, but you can eat them. There's nothing wrong. Eat as many animals as you want and be free. Look at your neighbor and say, be free. <laughs> I digress. And going back to the creed and closing to the, Somewhat introduction here. What are we preaching? That there's one God and creator. So he is the explanation to why there's something rather than nothing. And we believe that our creator is a complex unity that has made his creation in his image of complex unity. That creation in complex unity working together as one, specifically in families, has the God-given command to subdue the earth. Now go do likewise. Think about how that just changes your perspective on everything. Think about what that just does for science. This is why, this is why Sir Isaac Newton, the godfather of physics, wrote more about uh, science, I mean more about the Bible than he did science, because the moment we say God created it, what can you do now as a scientist? Go figure out how God did it. Doesn't that just make science exciting now? God, show me how you did the, made the, the mountains. Show me how you created these molecules, molecules. Tell me how these things work. God, you created it. It's only just recently that they say God or science. Listen, science without God makes no sense because it is meaningless. 
I know one person, I was talking to them, they said, I don't believe anything unless I can test it by science. I said, that statement, can you test it by science? The statement you just said, I don't believe anything unless I can test it by science. Do you believe that, si that sentence? Yes. Well, can you test it? Show me in a laboratory that I'm only supposed to believe what I test in science. There are things that we take for granted because God gave us a conscience, and nobody even argues about whether or not these things are true. These are actually called fundamental beliefs. Here's a fundamental belief, and I've gone over them before, but just briefly, that you actually are existing. That you're not a mind in a vat in a scientist jar somewhere on Mars, and he's poking and prodding you right now to make you be a little robot. You actually think you exist. Where's the argument for that? How can you disprove that you're not in the matrix right now? How about this other argument? How can you prove that I exist? Maybe you're playing a virtual reality game where you made yourself forget what you were doing so it would become real, and right now we're all just characters in your video game. How do you know I'm actually a real person? I could just be a figment of somebody's imagination created that you're in a sim world going to church right now hearing a preacher preach. How do you know you exist? How do you know other minds exist? You see, these are questions we ask all the time. How do we know that philosophy is supposed to be true? How do we know truth exists? Why do we talk to each other as if things are supposed to be true? How do we have a basis of conversation with one another? Why isn't lying good? Why isn't that good? You see, we have developed social constructs on the foundations of God's consciousness, and they're not explained, and they'll never be explained. For science to even do science, they have to presuppose they exist, other people exist, and truth exists. Does everybody understand that? Before you can ever do mathematics, you have to believe there's such thing as mathematics. How do we know 2 plus 2 is 2? Well, we have two apples here and there. But how do we know that it's 2? How do we know the values of numbers? How do physics know to work within the physical world like this uh, particle that they made, the Boson-Higgs particle? They had it on a math formula for 20 years before it ever came to be in reality. How did they know that? How could that mathematician do that and test it and know it's true? He had to first have the presupposition that math is true, and therefore I can prove it. And yes, you can prove you exist after you believe you exist. You have to start with your existence. Yes, you can prove math is right after you believe math is right. These are called presuppositions. There's no way around them. And so for someone today to say, what you guys are telling me as Christians, you're telling me, is not relevant to my world. You're just judging me. You're just giving me your opinions. Listen to me, my friends. As I teach you here how to preach, go to the notes, please. This has everything to do with what they do in life. The Christian worldview is the foundation for all that we have. If you don't believe it, I'll send you some links. Check me out on Facebook. I'll give you some more to think about. Matthew, uh, Mark 3, 14 through 15. If you're there, say I'm there. He appointed 12 that they may go out with him and that he may send them to go to church every Sunday. Is that what he said? He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to conferences and Christian concerts and church picnics and Sunday schools and all these other cool things. Is that what it says? He appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. Somebody say preach. When we talk about the authority to drive out demons, I don't have time to get into it, but this is a whole other thing. If we don't believe in the God of the Bible, then there is no cure for evil.
I could keep you here all day for this, but it's only the God of the Bible that cures evil. And I'll just take the most popular version of what people think is an equal version to the Bible, and it's not, and that's Islam. See, Islam believes in the devil, and they believe in sin, but they don't believe in the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So in their mind, evil is simply just destroyed on God's command. God says, Satan, you you eat dung. He's going to eat dung in hell, and you go perish and sin. Be no more. He's just going to say it and then it's just going to go away but this gives no explanation to how sin got here to the first place how did satan first get sin doesn't talk about that in the quran where satan got his sin from it doesn't tell the story of adam and eve in the quran like it does in the bible sin is not a thing sin is the absence of a thing when you go into darkness darkness is not a thing darkness is there because light is not there it's the same thing with cold cold is not a thing cold is the absence of heat Ask any scientist, they'll tell you this. Light is the thing. Heat is the thing. Cold and darkness are the absence of the thing. You see, evil is not a thing. Evil is a choice. Evil is when you have a choice between good and not good. That then what we say is not good is the thing that is evil. But now watch. If God just says evil be gone, all of this, that means that God would have to take away our choice, that there would be no choice. So therefore, we would be robots. And do you feel like a robot today. No. So our evil is not based on whether or not God commands it. Our evil is based on our hearts and whether or not we choose it. We have the choice. And so the redemption of Jesus Christ says he takes the punishment for our bad choices and changes our heart. That is why today the Christian can say, if I die, I go to heaven. And the Muslim says, I don't know, I'll face scales. Because evil has not been defeated in the Muslim's life he has to try to do more good than he does bad but Christ says you can never do enough good to even make up for one evil evil has to be destroyed and your heart has to change so you choose the right thing so evil in our life has to be taken away so light comes darkness leaves not as a thing but as an illumination and then the heart is changed now I choose Christ I choose heaven, and redemption is what the key to that. We're going to learn about that. Without redemption, good works cannot destroy evil. God simply saying evil be gone. If that was what God wanted, then God would have never allowed Satan or us to have a choice. But it was always him giving Satan, the angel at that time, Lucifer, to have a choice. Satan chose. He was a worship leader. He was like those here. He was worshiping to God. And the story goes that he then took the worship unto himself. See, he chose to have light leave his heart and to have idolatry come in. And by that, he was cast out of heaven. Does everybody understand? So God says, angels don't get a second choice. That choice that they made, the angel, uh, Satan and the third of the fallen angels that went with him have no choice again now to make a different decision. They will be damned forever. But mankind gets to make a different choice. And how do we get to make that choice? Here, I'm repeating myself. We get to make that choice because Jesus brought salvation, forgiveness of our bad choices. He took the penalty of our bad choices and now gives us the chance to have a heart change. That's why, friends, everybody listen to me. That's why without being born again, no one can see the kingdom of heaven. 
And sometimes people say something like this. They say, well, you know what? Uh, you know, as we were talking about Angola, there's like this kind of uh, sense of uh, injustice that may come to our hearts when we hear about these prisoners. We may hear about a rapist and a murderer. And then all they have to do is just what? Say they're sorry to God, and now they get to go to heaven. How many of it has ever felt that kind of injustice? And, and, then, and then here's where the injustice really shows itself. If your grandmother, your sweet Iwela, your grandma did not know Jesus, she wasn't born again, but she was always a good person. Maybe she went to the Catholic church. Maybe she helped the poor. But according to the Christian view, if she wasn't born again, she goes to hell. Everybody go, ooh. See, don't you get a sense of injustice right now? You see, that bothers us, doesn't it? Grandma was a nice person. She didn't hurt anybody. She was nice to everybody. But the Bible says if she was not born again, she doesn't get to go to heaven. But some rapist, child molester, a murderer says to Jesus in prison, Forgive me. Now he gets to go to heaven. The reason why that seems to be unjust to us is because we don't know the nature of evil and we don't know who we are. See, that's why what I'm telling you right now is so important. You, my friends, the moment you sinned, one sin, were as disgusting in God's eyes as that child molester. You were as hideous to God in God's heart and in his reality. It's either perfect or not perfect. And so when any human being, whether they have these kinds of sins or these kinds of sins, stands before judgment, if they are not perfect, they can't be in the perfect place of heaven. If you think you can do something for your bad to make up, uh, do good to make up for your bad, then you would not need Jesus. And then you would have to explain where does the bad decisions and the people you affected, where does that get dealt with? You see, if I did something bad and I lied, but now I help an old woman across the street with her groceries, you would say, okay, your, bad, your good work canceled your bad work. But let me ask you a question. Did I still not lie to you and cause harm in your life? Where is the justice or the recompense for the very sin that I did to you? Where is the punishment for that very sin? Because God in his perfection has to punish not only all sin as a whole, but has to punish it individually just Adam and Eve sinning one sin got them kicked out of the garden and punished individually are you listening to me so the punishment of sin is not dealt with when you think of good works so now when we look at your grandmother, my grandmother, I remember weeping at my grandmother's uh, uh, knees. I was on my knees weeping, crying out for her because she was a, a dedicated Catholic. And I don't know where she went. I can't judge her. But I know that when I asked her if she was born again, she said no. And I, I was visiting Chicago uh, 10 plus years ago. I was preaching. And I asked uh, some people to bring me there to, to my grandmother's house while I was visiting from New Orleans. And I got down on my knees and I was weeping. And I said, Grandmother, you have to accept Jesus. You have to repent. You, you have to say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. That's the only way you get in. And she was like, no, Joey, no, Joey. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. Listen to me. Those words that came out of my grandmother's mouth were the high treason against a king in heaven, were the greatest words of rebellion. 
the greatest words of rebellion. What she was saying is not, my, not, not God's way, but my way to heaven. And see, one sin has to be punished, let alone all the sins of her life. And if she did not repent, she will perish because she was rebellious towards God. And if that person in Angola, and we do believe in human justice, the Bible believes in it. Many times that they would do something wrong, they would say they were sorry. Like Achan, he got caught stealing, and God told him not to steal. He was forgiven. He said, I ask for forgiveness. But he and his family was stoned and then set on fire and covered and buried in rocks. So I believe people in Angola should stay there. But the point is, if I'm in heaven and I see somebody from Angola, I will not see those hideous things they have done, though they had to pay for it here. I will see what Christ did for them and the justice of God was served because they accepted Jesus' punishment on the cross. No one, listen to me, no child molester, no one who is in heaven will you point to them and say, you got all free with this, you got away with this. If there is anybody in heaven, you will look to the cross and you'll say, there was the payment for their sin. There was the destruction of the choices that they made. There it is. There's the blood of the spotless lamb. You will not look at one person in heaven and say, you got off easy. Because you will see Jesus Christ sacrifice and you will understand that for them to be there, they had to deny themselves. They had to deny themselves and say, not my will be done, but your will be done. If they're there in heaven, they had humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God. And so there's room at the cross for everyone, for grandmothers, for mothers, for aunties, and for criminals because we all come down the same Calvary road. All of us, though we may suffer here and we may suffer shame up there. The Bible even says at judgment we will see the shame of the things we've done. But nonetheless, we can be saved. Some of you think that you won't have a judgment of your works. That is not true. Read Corinthians. The Bible says after the great white throne judgment, we will be judged on our works. We'll be judged on what we've done. We'll be judged. And some people think, you know, as far as the east is from the west, that's true. Your sin is not held against you in the sense of salvation. But now that you are saved, you will give an account for what you did and didn't do. That's why after that, when he creates the new heavens and the new earth, he wipes away every tear because we will be bawling and many of us will be crying at the judgment seat. The Bible says even there we'll see the blood of people's souls on our hands that we could have helped. We will be judged. Some people's lives, the Bible says, will be built up. Like a house made of straw, it will look beautiful, but when the fire comes, there'll be nothing left. You will see this on Judgment Day. So God will say to that rapist, that murderer, this was your life before me. It's all gone. Now let me see your life after serving me. If they've given their heart to God and served out these 10 years, 20 years, they'll be judged and rewarded on that. But it won't be as if God says, I don't care. I think as far as the east is from the west, that's after judgment. And then we establish the new heavens and the earth. And he says, behold, I make all things new. That's when I think it happens. So my friends, you will stand before God and what you do. He remembers what you do. And you will even as a Christian have your works brought before you, whether good or bad, done in the body. Believe that, my friends.
If I've mistreated my wife and I still get to go to heaven, you think God just says I forget about that? No, God is going to shame me. God is going to say you should have done this, and because you didn't, I burn up these works of your marriage. Let me give you another example. Let's say today I cheated on my wife, right? We see this happen all the time with, with pastors. Let's say I cheat on my wife. And I say to God, well, God, you said you would forgive me. So I'm going to cheat on her again. God, you said you would forgive me. Then eventually my wife leaves me, right? And then now I get me remarried. Two or three years go by. And now I get to have a new church and new people are coming. Maybe not people like you, but other people. And, and now life goes on. And maybe all throughout my 50s and 60s and 70s, I serve God. And maybe even those of you from this time of my life, you forget. You say, well, you know, he did bad by Nancy, but he's been forgiven now. Look at him. He's all good. Do you think I stand before God on judgment day and he just says, well done, good and faithful servant? There will be a judgment for what I did. And so I believe it's like this. He will put my marriage to the test, and he will test it by fire. Though he says, Joe, you're coming in, but this is your marriage. <sighs> Gone. You mistreated her. He will make the wrongs right, Christians. Everybody turn with me to 2 Corinthians, because I feel some of you all need to see it and put the fear of God in you. You will go to heaven, but you still will be judged. You see, down here on earth, we don't understand what we do counts. We just think I'm going to keep asking for forgiveness as long as I get in, as long as I got my golden ticket, I'm all right. There is no more condemnation. That is true. You are going to heaven. Don't let the devil lie to you. But you will be judged by the works of your life. Everybody say the Bema seat. The Bema seat of judgment is where the Bible says that Christians are judged and where we will stand before God. And I just think it's good for us to hear this today. Is everybody with me there in, in the book of Corinthians? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn there with me, please. Oh, no, no, 2 Corinthians. I was right the first time, 5.10. Thank you, Google. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Maybe this message is for next week, the one I have here. I just feel the Lord. And I want to be very clear because I don't want people to think I'm preaching condemnation. I want to be very clear right here. He is talking to Christians. He is talking to Christians. I'll just say start in verse 7, chapter uh, first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. I will explain to you. He's talking to Christians. For we live by faith. Who lives by faith? Well, Christians, we do. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home, at, uh, and at home with the Lord. Right? So these are Christians. I would rather be uh, with God in heaven than be here in my body. That's what he's saying. So we, everybody say, so we. Make it our goal to what? Please him. It will matter what you do on this earth. So that person who says, well, that guy from Angola, they got it off easy. No, 50 years of their life will be blown away in smoke. Are you listening to me? If they don't live for God and have something to show on this day, they may get in, but their life will be judged. So make it your goal to please him, whether at home in the body or away from it. For we all, right? For we all. Now, some people are thinking, well, that's the white throne judgment, where we get the books open and then the one book. No, it's not, because the white throne judgment, as you see in heaven, is only for those who have accepted Christ. Uh, for, uh, the book says you've accepted Christ. There is no bad that is given to you. But listen, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us 
for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You see, at the white throne judgment, see, what I'm trying to say is there's two times where God judges. We call it the white throne judgment and the bema seat, standard theology. Most Baptists, Christians, evangelicals, we believe this. You may not have heard it, but track with me. It's very simple. There is an original judgment. It's the sheep and the goats. It's Matthew chapter 25. It's Revelation 20, I believe. He stands in front of the world. All of us come. There are books written for those who don't know Christ that, that convicts them of all their sin. And then there's one book, the, great, uh, the Lamb's Book of Life, right? And this is where the plays normally end. You come here. Your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Praise God you made it. We're so glad you're here. But that's not it. It doesn't end right there. Now you as the Christians, all the sheep, now we're going to judge you. Is everybody with me? Okay, now I'm going to show you this. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to give it to you right here. Just somebody say, preach it. Hallelujah. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. Verses 12 and onward. Here's the description of it. It's very simple. You'll understand it now. Verse 10. Start with verse 10. By the grace of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, by the grace God has given me, I've laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one of you should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one laid, which is Jesus Christ. So now we're talking about your life. Paul is saying, I'm building on your life, but our foundation is Jesus Christ. No one can be in Christ without having him be the foundation. Everybody tracking with me? Now look at verse 21. If anyone, somebody say, if anyone. If anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation is who? Jesus. Now, if you build on that foundation, talking to Christians, you build on that foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or stubble, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Somebody say, the day. You see, that day will bring it to light. Jesus will judge you. It will be revealed with fire and will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, suffer shame, will be humiliated, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Woo, does that not wake you up this morning? God help us all. God help us all. So I want to give you that example now in summary. Okay, I'm a Christian. I love God. I'm building on Christ. But I start to build my marriage on hay. And God still forgives me. Yeah, Joe, I forgive you of your affair. I let you remarry. I, I acknowledge my call in your life. I'm still saving people through your ministry. But we're going to reckon it up here. When you get up here, we're going to talk about how you treated her and what you did. Angels put the life of Joe Y. Rostick on trial. And I don't know how it will be. I don't know. This is just an example. Paul himself is making the example. Let's just go with it. And there's a portion of my life that is my marriage. It goes away. No reward. Portion of my life is this church, Metro Praise. No reward. You are a poor example to them. Now, what do you think I'm going to do at that moment? I'm going to fall down and weep and cry. 
We're thinking God's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. What do you think he's wiping tears? This is the thing I always talk to people when they get to heaven, I say, and then they talk about he's going to wipe away every tear. You think when you're in heaven, you're going to be crying about your body, what happened in your life? You're not going to care about any, any of that anymore. It's over. Your body is done. You're going to care about that paycheck. What you will be weeping for, what you will weep for is lost souls going to hell and watching your life go up in smoke if you haven't lived for Christ. That's what you'll be weeping for. That's when all things need to be made new. And here, let me just end with this. I believe that judgment means more to God than it does to us, obviously. But let me explain to you why. You see, whenever Jesus told parables about us being obedient with the talents or the women with the, uh, uh, the oil burning before the wedding, when Jesus tells all these parables, his whole point is, is there is a reward for your obedience, but I just don't think we get it. We keep thinking, if I just get into heaven, then it's done. It's like, that's all I need. But God is trying to get us on this mindset that you will be living for eternity a lot longer than you lived here. And how you live in eternity and who you are is reflective of the rewards of the life you lived here. And he's trying to tell us, some of you, We'll get to heaven, and all you will have is your own salvation. Because everything else got burned up. You didn't work your job for Jesus. You didn't have your family for Jesus. You wasted your life, did whatever you wanted, and it's gone. He loves you, and you're in his kingdom. But he tries to motivate us by these stories of judgment so we'll see it the way he does, like the parable of the shrewd manager, the one who makes those bargains so that he can keep his job. And he says, the ones in this world are wiser. The children of darkness are wiser with their own kind than the children of light. It said, make for yourselves friends with money down here so that you can have treasures up there. He gives us these examples. Those who have been faithful with little, he here will be faithful with much up there. Remember the talents. He who has more, give him more. He who has, has little and didn't use it, take what he has and give it to the other one. Right? We're, we're thinking when we get to heaven, it's all equally divided. No, if God gave you talents and you didn't use it, he'll strip it from you and give it to somebody else. I'll be in heaven singing like an angel. If Whitney Houston didn't use her gift for God, I'll be singing like Whitney Houston in heaven. That's what it means, baby. Sorry if I make it too light because I am being serious, but that is what it says. The gifts he's given you will be taken and given to someone else, and they'll have them for eternity. Those who are faithful with little will be given much. What is he trying to tell us? What you are now matters for then. So take your life serious. Take your life serious. Do not use the grace of God like some dirty, filthy rag to keep washing your sins on so that you can go out and sin some more. Let's close with Hebrews 10, 26. The Christian who says, I will continue in sin themselves, I, I question their salvation. The only one that's coming to heaven from Angola is the one who said, I forsake my sin for Jesus. The ones of us here who will have treasures in heaven are those who said, my, uh, not my will, but your will be done. Can I hear an amen? amen? Here it is in closing, and I'll preach this message next week, and the notes are up. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. 
Who is he talking to? Is he talking to Christians or non-Christians? If we're, if he's, and I, I, I did this in seminary, and they tried to tell me, no, he's talking to non-Christians because once you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. Well, if I'm already a sinner, why are you telling me after I've received the truth? A sinner can't receive the truth. A sinner can only hear the truth. Because if a sinner received the truth, they're no longer a sinner. So which one is it? Is it the one, is he talking to the one who's received it or only the one who's heard it? Uh, James said, do not be a do, uh, just a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. The Greek word here for receive is the same Greek word that's used all throughout the New Testament that says they received the word of God gladly and were saved. That they, they received God. This is used as a term of salvation. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received, taken in the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now watch this. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy. Everybody say without mercy. I could preach a whole message on without mercy. That will terrify you. You need to understand this. Paul said this. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. You have to understand on judgment day, there will be no mercy for those who don't stand in Christ Jesus. I might show it to you. Give me a little grace today. I'll go to Psalms 2 in just a moment. As a matter of fact, you think God will be weeping, God will be laughing, God will mock them, and God will destroy them. The Bible says you will trample on them as somebody tramples grapes for wine. And the blood of 300 million in the battle of Armageddon will be as high as a horse's head for 144 miles. Jesus will show no mercy on that day. Some people think they're going to cry out for help. It will terror. This is what it's talking about. It is fearful. It is terrifying. Some of our culture is ashamed of this Jesus. They just want to talk about the, the laughing, giggling Jesus. This is the Jesus that I love. Just as much as John 3.16. Amen? But watch, died without mercy in the testimony of two, three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. Is there any confusion to now who he is talking to? Can a Christian be sanctified? I mean, excuse me, can a non-Christian be sanctified? Of course not. Only Christians can be sanctified. So what is the danger that we see here? That we as Christians in verse 26, please show it, we may think we can pull a quickie on God. Well, he'll just keep forgiving me. He'll just keep forgiving me. If you set out with the mindset to sin because you say God will keep forgiving you, this is your judgment. This is the gospel, my friends. He said to the woman caught in the adultery, remember, judge, judge not, lest she be judged, and then neither do I judge you. You remember that? In John chapter 8, he said, where's your accusers? She said, they're gone, Lord. He said, neither do I accuse you. Go and what? Sin no more. So what is God's grace and mercy to sinners? That we can be saved from our sin, from the darkness we have chosen. But if we say we're going to keep on sinning so that grace can keep on abounding, God forbid, 
This is our judgment. And, and turn lastly with me, please, to Psalms 2, because I just sense it's the fear of the Lord, and I'm going to show you one more scripture, and we'll leave. Amen? <laughs> just one more. And then maybe one more, and one more until you all walk out and leave, and then I'll preach to myself. Now, you guys like preaching. Amen? Here it is. Just look at it, and I just have to share this with you because I sense it in my heart. It's a God thing, and I really, really appreciate Tina's word today. I felt that was a God thing as well, and I hope that many of you responded. Look at what it says in verse 8. You have to understand this. This is the end. This is what the gospel helps us get ready for, the end. It's coming. He says, ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the end of the earth your possessions. You see, right now Christ loves the world, and the world has been given to him in his blood sacrifice. He died for all the sins of the world. But when he comes to reign as king, he will declare to his father this. He will do this with his father. He will say to his father, Father, may I have all the nations now? And the father will say, they're your inheritance. They're yours. Do with them what you will. And he says, you will break them with a rod of iron and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. When he is in heaven, sitting on the throne, he is going to say to the Father, are the nations now mine? And the Father, and this is what we believe the gospel has to be preached to all the world. I and mean, then just pause right here. God is not looking. He loves your job. He loves you. He loves little puppies you have, all the little pets we have. He loves your life. He wants to bless our lives. But I want you to understand this. There's only one thing that matters on God's timetable right now, that the gospel will be, will be preached to all the world. That's it. The gospel has to be preached to all the world so that the son may come and receive his inheritance, okay? We'll get there in Matthew 24. Just, just bear with me here. So the gospel has been preached. The end has come. The father will look to the son and say, all the nations are yours. Do with them what you please. And then it says he comes down and he breaks them to pieces. What is that supposed to result in our heart? Verse 10, therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Does it say that? Serve the Lord with what? And celebrate his rule with? We're so happy you're coming, uh, Jesus. We're, woo, we're so happy, but we're a little scared. But we're happy you're coming, Maranatha. Oh, but I'm a little scared. I mean, is that not what it is? I'm celebrating his coming. I'm celebrating that day, but it's, it's a little scary. It's a little scary when he breaks the nations down. Kiss the son, or he will be angry. Well, I don't know about all that worship stuff. You know, people mock us, charismatics, because we come to church, we wave our hands, and we dance, and we celebrate, and we kiss him with our worship. And they say, you know what, I don't think he deserves all that. I just think God is God, and I don't need to do that for him. He knows how I feel. No, this is what the Bible says. Kiss him. Kiss the son with your worship. Kiss him with the extravagance of your life like the woman who took her hair and poured her perfume on Jesus' earthly feet and wiped his feet with her tears and with her hair. Kiss the son. Worship him with abandonment or he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take uh, refuge in him. And then look at verse 4. Because right now, where are we? Just go up to verse 3. I'd say verse 2. The kings of the earth rise, and the, earl, uh, the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's talking about the son. And they say, let's break their chains and throw off their shackles. This is what the world is saying. We don't need Jesus anymore. We don't need to say one nation under God. Let's throw off these chains. 
Let's throw off this religion. Do what you want. You were born this way. Let us throw off their chains and shackles. You know what God does? When he sees, when he sees Miley Cyrus, you know what he does? Look at what he does. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. When he sees Miley Cyrus totally be debaucherous in this generation, he laughs. He's not intimidated by her. He's not taken back by her rebellion, and he's not laughing with her. He's laughing at her. He laughs at their rebellion. This will terrify you if you get to know this God. This is the God that Oprah Winfrey rejected, by the way. This is the God that your pop culture doesn't want. They say, this is a sadist. sadist. This is a God who loves pain and, and pleasure out of people's suffering. No, this is a God who's God and you're not. This is a God that's a roaring lion and you're not. This is the God who's the creator and you're not. This God is here to tell you it's my way. That's it. The one enthroned laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying, <laughs> you, think, you think this changes anything? I have a king on Zion, my holy mountain. Matthew 24. And then one last scripture we're going to close. Come on up here, uh, Rachel. Amen. Thank God for Rachel. She's coming. Give it up for Rachel as she comes. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all ye. No, saints below. I wish we knew that song. Go to Matthew chapter 24, false Christ, all of this going on in Syria. You know what's happening. Wars and rumors of wars. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It will be like in the days of Noah. He tells the story of the wise and foolish servants. To help us understand, we need to be wise. But this gospel will be preached. And then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. This gospel will be preached. And then the end will come. How many does that make sense to you this morning? Before I close out, I love to be a Bible college professor. Let me just slow down. Obviously, I had notes and I didn't preach them. I just want to ask you a question. With everything I just said, does this scripture make sense to you? Because honestly, I'm just processing as you're processing. Like, whoa, what is he doing? I'm, I'm processing too. I'm not saying God made me do it, but God kind of inspired me on this. The message I had ready today, it's awesome, we'll get into it tomorrow, was like a teaching lesson on the basics. And it's powerful, we need it, and we're, we're going to go over it, I believe, in, by God's grace. But this thing that I just dropped on you right now from the, the mindset of man and how we determine things and false religions and, 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 and whether or not he, with him talking about Angola was so spot on, whether or not the gospel seems unfair, if, you know, you just repent and you get it. That whole thing is what I've been on this week. Why? Because every time I go out and witness, these are the things that I'm hearing. People are arguing with me whether or not there's a God, whether or not there's a meaning to life while they're going to their job. I'll, I'll talk to them right here at the bus stop. No, I don't think life has any meaning. I don't think there's any absolute truth. But I need to catch this bus at 1030 so I can go to my job. See, they're living hypocr- they're, they're hypocrites. 
If life has no meaning, there is no truth. Forget about your bus. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. You're a bad practicer of your religion. You're a bad nihilist. You need to become a better nihilist. And in one sense, we're like, no, don't become a nihilist because that's Columbine. That's Newtown when you really start saying nothing matters anymore. So, you know, but you get my point. It's a hypocrisy. But everything I was saying was based on this verse. I I wish I would have wrote it down in my devotional time. This verse rocked me because I don't think we understand. We're going to get judged. And it's all going to be about this. How many think the father cares about his son? How many think in heaven the gospel's pretty important? How many think about this? Think about that. Do you think in heaven right now, the Bears starting season? I mean, forgive my friend, Jesus, but I saw my friend's Facebook post today. We're getting out early because such and such team's uh, first game is today. I actually took a picture of it. I'm going to share it with him when I talk to him. I'm going to say, as a, as a preacher, I'm going to say one preacher to another. I'm going to say, man, don't go down this road. Don't go down this road. Because to them, those teams are their idols. And what you basically just said is, what idol was more important? You just told them, your idol of sports was more important today, and my church is going to make sure you get to go and bow down to it. I'd rather have empty seats before we ever give that confused single. Amen? I remember when we started early on, people would come to me and let me know that this kind of preaching was going to offend their friends and family. And I said, I knew this before you got here. I preach it on purpose. I'm not a people-pleasing preacher. I'm a Bible-pleasing pleasing preacher. And if you get blessed out of it, let's all get blessed. That's good. But if we get rebuked, we all get rebuked. Amen? But I was watching my friend do that, and it's just been on my heart. And, and, and it's like, you know, because, you know, you're posting it up on Facebook, preach and all this. And I, I just know, I just know there's people going, dude, that's not a series for me. And I'm thinking about some of my other friends and church planning. And it's like all of these series about, you know, your marriage and your life and, uh, you know, the F word, you know, like this trendy thing. We're going to talk about the F word all month long, forgiveness, you know. And, and all of that stuff may be true. I get it. I get it. I get it. But I can't even think of any of my friends personally that have taught their people how to go out and do personal street evangelism. Not none of my friends. As a matter of fact, two of my friends have said to me, Joe, we're wanting to do what you're doing, but our people are not ready yet. Our people are not ready yet to hear a message about them going out and preach. They're not ready. And I said to myself and to them, you better get them ready. This is it. This is what he cares. He appointed 12 to be with him to go out and preach. The gospel, let me tell you how important the gospel is. Before I even say, let me tell you how easy it is for you to forget. You will leave out here today, you'll have your lunch, you'll be on your job, and you will forget all about this. But let me just tell you who who will not forget about this is God. Because this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Everything about Christ in his second coming is based on this right here. Go to joshuaproject.net, please. We're going to close out with this in my final scripture. I want you to get a heart for the nations because he said the nations. And what I love about America is we've got the nations all around us. 
all around us. I have an Indian neighbor. I got an Indi a book about Hinduism to give to him. I got a Buddha neighbor, a Buddhist neighbor. I got a Buddha book to give to him. I got a Muslim neighbor. I'm giving him a Muslim book. I'm like, Jesus, thank you for Elgin. Like you just sent me to the United Nations. I am so serious. It's an apologist dream. Like literally in a couple hours, my kids will be playing at a park with five different religions and nationalities or Sikhs in my neighborhood. Sikhs, you even know what a Sikh is? They come from India. They're a branch of Hinduism. They're the guys who don't cut their hair and they, they big, wear the big turbans. They're not Muslims nor Hindus. They're called Sikhs. I have them in my neighborhood. I was watching them play basketball. I was like, you go. Look at you guys. Like, I mean, I'm just like, what is, I'm just, I'm just, my mind is blown. Scroll down to it, it says interactive map. I hope this is blessing somebody today. Go down to the interactive map, and you can see this at joshuaproject.net. Scroll down a little bit. I believe it's the second one from the left. Click on it. And I want you to be able to see what God is doing right there. It says we're about 7 billion people. 2 billion of them are unreached. You can go ahead and click on that map. I want you guys to be able to see this. This is what God is on right now. You clicked Welcome on the video. The you need to Project go to the map. Website. We'll take our time, brother. There's a he said all the nations. And guess what? You are in a place right now where you have all the nations around you. We get to share the gospel with our neighbors. We get to share the, good, the gospel, the good news with our friends. And, and listen to me, Americans, because, you know, even if you come from another country, you're living like an American now. And let me tell you what I know about Americans. We think we already know the gospel. But let me encourage you, American gospel preachers, we don't know it. My brothers from Africa, you may think all of the Christians, no, we don't know it. Preach to them. I've been on Bourbon Street. And some of the greatest testimonies I've seen with the most vulgarest of people have come from preachers' kids, Christians. That's not the interactive map. I need you to find the blue interactive map. We'll take our time. We need to preach to each other. Do you know that I'm preaching to a Catholic person right now? And he's like, I have never heard it that way. What does that mean? Yes, let me explain it to you. You have to be born again. See, I live in a neighborhood where people go to to escape the city, right? I didn't go there for that reason, but that's where people go to, to escape the city. And what do they say? I got my kids. I've got my house. Thank you, sir. Right there. Just hold it there, please. I've got my kids. I've got my house. I've got my job. I'm good. And you know how I used to preach the gospel? The gospel was kind of like my testimony. Well, I used to do drugs, and I was having sex, and I caught two STDs, and I was a bad mamma jammas, and you need Jesus. The people I was preaching to were like, oh, whoa, you really did need Jesus. Dude, I am fine. I'm actually doing really good right now as a Catholic because I have never had an STD. I have never been arrested. I am so happy you found the gospel. Uh, you know, So I began to realize, like, whoa, I'm going about this the wrong way because at the end of the conversation, they actually have more reason to not be a Christian. That's why we began to go this route. Have you been born again? Well, I don't know what that is. Well, let me explain to you. You were born a sinner. Your life of sin has proven it. Now you deserve the justice of God, punishment forever. You deserve it. 
You willingly lied. You willingly broke God's commands. Boy, when you preach like that, you'll see men with multi-million dollar businesses just put their head down in conviction. I saw it just the other day. Just The same guy that was telling me we should castrate children. Uh, I mean, uh, castrate poor people so they couldn't have children. Yeah, you're right, Joe. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. It don't matter because you know that you've broken God's commands. Now, here's the deal. Jesus took your punishment. Punishment had to be paid for your sin either by you or by someone else. That someone else to take your punishment had to be perfect because perfect people had sin. Now a perfect person could take sin. Angels couldn't do it. They kept sinning. Man couldn't do it. Prophets couldn't do it. They all sinned. So God the Son came in the flesh to take your punishment. You want to see how God feels about sin? Look to the cross. Please put up the cross. Here's the gospel presentation I share with my friends. You want to see how Jesus feels about your sin? It's not a laugh. It's not a joke. You want to see how he feels? You look to the cross. Your sin cost him his life. He was put to death for your sin. Do you believe that? Well, yeah, I think I believe that. Okay, well, repent of your sins and follow him. Most people say, well, what does that mean? That means you repent. You have penance, the English word penance, and you re, you move away from the thing you're having penance for. You make a 180. So the sins today, you're confessing, your pornography, your lying, your anger, your cheating on your wife, your lying on your taxes, your gossiping about your neighbor, your putting your money as an idol. Those things right now, you repent for, you turn from, and you walk away, and you start following Jesus. The evidence that you've been born again will be that you turn and do that. If you don't turn and do that, you haven't been born again. Or if you turn from your sins and you turn back to your sins, you are a backslider. You have gone back. As the Bible says, a fool goes to folly, back to his folly, as a dog goes back to vomit. Please put up the map. Well, Okay, I'm ready to do that. Let's pray. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new creation. Change my life. Okay, you said that prayer, me and amen. Welcome to the family of God. Now I've got an encouragement for you today, what Jesus commanded. He said, no one who's born of God will keep on sinning because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. Now that God's on the inside of you, you will be very much aware of your sin the moment you walk away from me. How many knew that the moment you became a Christian? When you, when you got up the next morning and you tried to live a, a life maybe you did before, how many felt conviction? How many knew things were wrong before even a preacher could get to you? How many knew that? If you did not have that, friends, you were not saved. I'm being honest with you. You were not saved. And the Bible says, weeds and wheat can grow right next to each other and preachers and us we won't know the difference so you might be here you might even be my wife if my wife hasn't experienced that if I have not experienced that, are you listening you do not know Jesus because he promised 
that you will know his voice. Christianity is not just following a bunch of rules and religion. It's knowing the voice of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, those are the children of God. They cry out in their soul to the Lord, Abba, Father, my Father. They cry out, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. You want that? Amen. Go on. We're going to pray for you, Lord. Speak to them. Lead them. Guide them. Bless them. Fill them. That's the gospel message. Have you been born again? Let me explain that to you. This is how you're born again, and this is what you do after you're born again. That's the message God wants to give. Let me just provoke you guys a little bit in godliness. Go here to India. Do you know what India looks like? Look at, yeah, tap on it right there. Look at India. India has one. You got to tap on so I can see it. It's going to just scroll over on it. No, you got to go back and just highlight. Let's put it that way, my brother. Let's give it up for Pastor Ellie. He's working overtime with me. Go back. To this map and just highlight it. That's the word. Somebody say highlight. Look at it. Just high. Boom. Just go right back there. 1.2 billion people. 2,500 people groups. 2,300 have not been reached one time with the message I just shared. That is 91% of their population. Do you see what God's caring about today? Go to some of these northern African nations. Go right up to the biggest northern African, I believe. Uh, no, the top one, right up there. Boom, Algeria. 36 million people, 41 people groups. 35 have not been reached. 85% of that nation is lost. We call it the 1040 window. 1040 in latitude. 1040 window, Northern Africa, Middle East, Southeast Asia, and Asia, unreached. So we got to get the gospel out. We got to start with our friends and our family. The gospel is the most important thing to heaven right now. The Bible said this, and we're going to say it in closing. Would you stand up and just leave the map up? I'll read it. But those who have their Bible, turn with me to Matthew 6, 33. Today's title of the message is Seek First the Kingdom of God. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Thank you guys for going overtime with me today. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to encourage you. It's a message for me. This is what God's been doing in me. I received this first, Jesus. We have to be kingdom-minded. And we got to see that this gospel is about the heaven, heaven's perspective. Jesus wants us to do this. He'll bless us when we do. Altar workers, would you come? Let's pray. Band, would you come? Father, help us today to preach your gospel. I've said enough, maybe even too much, Lord. But God, it's so important. The gospel. Seeking first your kingdom. Understanding that this world needs your gospel. It's not a it's not an optional upgrade. 
well, do you want the car with the GPS built in or not? China, do you want Jesus or do you want Buddhism? What, what, which one do you want? It's your, it's your choice. American government, President Obama, do you want God to be the guide of the nation of America or do you want man's opinion? Ah, whatever you want. A little bit of man, a little bit of God, you know. You sweared on the Bible you would be a God-fearing man. You would keep your vow. You sweared on the Bible. But a little bit of man, a little bit of God. Top of the Washington Monument. Hallelujah. Praise unto God. Lord, what is, what is man that you're mindful of him? We're but dust of the earth. But yet you made us in your image. You're so patient with us. But, oh, God, you're going to come again one day. And you're going to judge us. And you're not just going to judge sinners to hell and godly people to your kingdom. But you're going to judge Christians. You're going to judge your followers. You're going to hand to us good or bad on that day. And Lord, sometimes I'll just be honest from my heart to yours. You already know it, but I confess it to this congregation so often, God. I feel like the church in America doesn't want to hear about it anymore. They don't want to be challenged anymore. They want religion their way. But God, today I as your servant just shared what you put on my heart. That we might be cross-eyed today. That we might just look at the cross a bit more clear than we did before. That we might understand it a bit more than we did before. That we would be motivated by it. That we would be captured by it. That we would humble ourselves and stop pretending that we got it together. And that we would stop allowing fear to take us from keeping your commands. Every head bowed and eyes closed. Do you know that statistically only nine out of, uh, excuse me, only one out of ten people lead others to Christ? Did you know that? Did you know that ten out of a hundred are the only ones doing the work of evangelism on the average church? That means the other 90% of us are not reaching people for Christ. Do you know that statistically only 2% of Christians in church even regularly go to outreach events? Only 2%? Sometimes I wish that we could talk percentages and that people would, you know, have us on charisma articles and news reports based on percentages. Oh, you mean big church so-and-so down the road? You mean they only have 2%? Oh, Metro Praise, 80%? 8 out of 10 are involved in an outreach this month? Wow. But you see, man's eyes are not like God's eyes. We, they don't care. 80. Who cared? Metro Praise, you're so small. You just do that to get more people. You know what? You have to make a decision in your mind. Why do you go evangelizing? Do you do it to build your church? Do you do it to make yourself feel better? Do you do it because you're a Jehovah Witness and if you don't, you're not going to go to heaven? That's the lies that I hear. Or do you do it because you're about what Jesus was about? 
Eyes closed. Come on, let's use our imaginations. Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago. Imagine you were there. What do you think Jesus would say? What do you think he would say? Hey, Joe. Hey, man, I'm going to catch the, the Bears game. Hey, man, you know grand opener today, man. Let's go catch the Bears game. Hey, Ricky, man, let's go. Hey, man, the Cubs, man. Let's go see the Cubs. Hey, Tina, I hear there's a sale going on at the mall today. Let's go to the mall. Hey, parents, I hear there's free giveaways at, at Six Flags Great America today. I hear there's free giveaways. Let's go over there, free giveaways. Is that what Jesus would say? No, nothing wrong with those things, watching games, going to Great America and buying clothes. Of course, we need those things. Oh, but I wonder what Jesus would say. I wonder if he would say something like, come and follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. I wonder if he would say something like, go into all the world and preach the good news. He who believes and is baptized is saved. He who does not believe is condemned. I wonder if he would say something like, go two by twos into every town and preach my message. Those who accept you and welcome you into their homes, eat what they provide, say what I tell you to say, and those who reject you, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next town because I won't come back until you've reached all these towns. Whew, get a revy of that today. What are you saying, Jesus? Come on, I dare you just with your eyes closed, not looking around. I dare you to stop listening to what I'm saying and just ask him, Jesus, what are you saying today? What do you care about this Sunday, Jesus? What do you care about? It's September 8th, 2013, and I'm sitting in this church for two and a half hours, God. What do you care about? Give me your heart. Come on, I can just hear the Lord say, I care about China. I care about South Vietnam. My heart's beating today for Indonesia. I'm broken over Egypt and Syria. My heart is pouring out today for Algeria. My heart is broken for Morocco. I'm yearning for Sudan, Ethiopia. My tears are for the Philippines. My heart is for Tokyo and Japan. My heart is on Nepal and Mongolia. I'm weeping today for Russia. My heart is breaking. My heart is breaking. My heart is breaking for Cuba. My heart is breaking. My heart is breaking for Pakistan. My heart is breaking for Iraq and Iran. My heart is breaking for Nigeria. My heart is breaking for the nations for the nations he said my house 
will be called a house of prayer for the nations. When Jesus stepped into his temple, into his father's house, and he threw out all those money changers, you know what he was shouting? He was saying, my house, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for these nations. We're supposed to be here praying for these nations. My father, he loves the world so much that he gave me as a sacrifice that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. May the house of God, hallelujah, be a house of prayer again for the nations. God's heart is breaking for America. God's heart is breaking for Central and South America. God is breaking over Europe. That's what I believe he's saying today. Who will go? Who will go for the Lord? Who will go? Who will go for Jesus? Who will open their mouth and spread his message? Jesus, send me, I'll go. Sing that out, man. Come on, send me, I'll go. In closing today, if you need prayer to go and be a gospel preacher, would you come now to these altars? The rest of you, you're dismissed. Go in peace. Lord, bless them as they go. But as we close out, if you need prayer to be a gospel preacher, maybe you're intimidated, maybe you're shy, let us pray for you as we dismiss. Jesus, send me. Give me a 